Hey, it's Heather. Before you get started, I just wanted to quick drop a note that the episode you're about to listen to is a friend. Her name is Dom, and she is going to be in New York City uh, for the Vegan Street Fair this weekend. So it is on the 20th of May. So head on over to domsvegan.ep. That's Instagram, D-O-M-S-V-E-G-A-N.ep now so you can follow along with Dom. And if you are in and around the New York City area, definitely get on over to the street fair this weekend and support our amazing vegan chef, Dom. When I decided to give it all up, I uh, I reached out to the Vegan Street Fair and I was like, yo, like, I really want to be a vendor. And uh, they gave me a chance before anybody gave me a chance. Welcome back to Diversity on Fire. This is your host, Heather. Diversity on Fire is on a mission to inspire new thoughts and dialogue by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. My guest today is Dom Arrington. Dom is a vegan chef on a mission to share her story from her tumultuous early years, which led to dancing, homelessness, some legal trouble, and a serious medical diagnosis, all of which shaped how Dom works and moves through the world today. She is now on a mission to change the world by wearing her heart on her plate one meal at a time. Welcome to the show, Dom. Hey, what up, Heather? Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Um, Thank you so much for making time for me. Thank you for, before this moment, you have been a supporter of my journey since the very beginning. So thank you so much for being on board with everything that's happening and the way that I plan to change the world. I appreciate you for that. A hundred percent. I'm I'm so excited that we connected and I'm I'm so happy and grateful that you're willing to be so open and honest and, and share your story. So at the beginning of each episode, I always like to, because obviously I did a little bit of a highlight reel of like a couple pinpoints of who Dom is, but I like to take it all the way back to your origin story. So just, you know, Cliff Notes version, right? Tell us a little bit about your origin story, your personal backstory. So uh, family upbringing, like so family dynamics, cultural, religious upbringing, location, if that is important. So kind of those key moments when you were young. Okay. Um, Location really isn't important, but I grew up in like a Southern Baptist family. I uh, I came out as a lesbian from uh, like I started coming out at like 11 years old and from like 11 to 15 I really like came out and um, well if we're just gonna dive in let's just take the dive okay <laughs> um, jump right so, off uh, so I came out at a really early age and that caused me to be like disowned from my family. And uh, it led to me just having to like become really independent on my own. And uh, so everything that I know is because I worked so hard myself without like support, without like family support. You know, like um, I actually came out during like the Clinton administration, which was like, don't ask, don't tell. And it was like, even like going through that at school was like super rough, but then, coming home and knowing I didn't have a safe space for that at home either was like double as traumatic right so um 
I, uh, I really got involved in like school. I did like a lot of organizations and things like that. But the main reason I did them was so that I wouldn't have to be at home. And so I found myself like traveling all the time. And uh, that's what really started this adventure, you know, and now like I'm 35 and I'm taking over the world. But like that, that was like a first pivotal point. So then um, I got a scholarship to Texas A&M. I, uh, I had a full ride. I went to college and uh, I fell in love with a girl who was 14 years older than me at the time, which was obviously like now that I look at it, now that I'm that age, I could never like look at an 18 year old and be like, yo, like that's my bae. Like I could never do that. You know what I mean? But like when I was 18 and she was like 35, like that was dope as shit. But now I'm in a like the reverse situation. I can never see myself and be like, yo, that's what I want out of life. Anyway, like, it was like, it was like manipulative and it was destructive. And uh, because of it, I ended up um, losing my scholarship. And my parents actually came to pick me up from Texas A&M. And that was like a really heartbreaking moment because when they drove from El Paso to go pick me up, that was the moment that I lost my scholarship because they didn't bring me back. And at that point, there was just like, whatever we can do to like keep you from being in a relationship with a woman we're gonna do and so that was like the first moment that my heart got shattered so then um the only natural thing to do after that point is to become a stripper okay well well before we get into that let's um let's rewind just a minute so you you were in school how long were you in school before they came and got you uh like semesters so I did like a lot of my basics actually which is great because I got that out the way which is great in that sense like now looking back but I was there for like two semesters before I lost it all and why did they come and get you did was there like a specific incident or did they just find out you were involved with someone that was older and also female and they're like no it's actually a really like fucked up situation um she decided that she was not over her ex. And so she called my parents behind my back because she didn't know how to like break up with me on her own. And here I am, this little like fawn, like freaking Bambi, like 18 years old, like all young and naive, like leaving the nest. And she is like a 35 year old woman, like had no idea how to break up with me. So she called my parents. And so that is what, like, I ended up showing up from work. I Like, I got home from work one day, and she was like, don't look now, but your parents are in the car next to us. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what? Oh, okay. I'm so reacting to this because I'm like, okay. So, so two things are immediately coming to my mind. One, that either tells us that this 35-year-old knows fucking better And knew that they were dealing with a child, which meant that they needed to call the child's parents or that they were still such a child themselves that they just did not have the life skills to like operate within a day. Either way. Wow. I know. I know. And I like, that's not like a level that we've gone. Like you and I have had a bunch of conversations. So like, let me preface this before I came on this podcast, HP and I have had like many conversations. So wherever you want to take this, I'm down. So let's get through this story real quick. So we get to the next story. Right. So anyways, I get my heart broken. I come back to El Paso. And uh, then at that point, it's like, what am I going to do? 
And that's when I actually started dancing. And um, I like, I've always been pretty like tomboyish. I've always had like really short hair and stuff like that. But when it what like I've been always like I was cooking on the line. I've been cooking ever since I can remember. So I was actually working in Applebee's at the time. And here I am with like my baggy pants and like my polo shirt and just like, you know, just like the way you know me now. And um this guy was like, Hey, do you have any friends that you can bring to my party? I'm looking for like a dancer and I'm gonna pay them like three hundred bucks for the night. And I was like, wait, what? Like three hundred bucks, I'll do it. And so that was actually how I got into it. He was like, nah, you won't. And I was like, dude, like I'll put on a wig, I'll put on heels, like whatever it takes. And so I did, I ended up like dancing for his party that night. Cause I was like, fuck, like I want to make 300 bucks. And so I ended up dancing for the party, but then there was a manager for like the strip club that I ended up working at. And he was like, yo, like you did really good tonight. I really want to like extend you an invitation. Here's my card. Do you want to work at my club? And I was like, like I just made 300 bucks in one night instead of 300 bucks in like a two week you know period I was like yo yes and so um I the next day like I quit Applebee's and I went into the strip club and I was like yo I got this card like he gave me his number whatever and then so I ended up getting hired and I actually ended up dancing for like five to six years at this point so I left the kitchen for a minute and I left the kitchen to go dance and so I danced and um, the first three years were like the time of my life. I had an amazing time. I met amazing people. I danced with amazing women that were all just trying to like pay bills and like do something for themselves and like to see it from the inside on that point of view is like so intriguing to me now looking back but um, towards the last two years it like the industry became so competitive, but it became so competitive because there was a lot of like girls that would start to come into the industry and they would like fuck for like 20 bucks. And so it made it really hard for people that were just like, uh, like I'm a gymnast on a pole. Like I was amazing at performance. I'm an entertainer. Obviously you can't tell that by talking to me. Like the entertainment part of it was where I made the most, but then now you got these girls that are coming in and they're starting to like, they're like fucking and sucking for 20 bucks. And like, that is a whole different ball game. So then when that happened, like, man, it's like the clientele changed also. And that's when I really got addicted to drugs. I started doing cocaine. Like I was doing like an eight ball of cocaine a night. I was drinking like a gallon of vodka a night at that point. And at that point, it was no longer like entertainment and it was no longer like, yo, like, I'm up here, I'm dancing, whatever, like, give me your crumpled ones, I'll take them. At that point, it was just like fighting to survive because you got people coming in there, like willing to give so much less than like what your value is. And so I got really addicted to drugs at that point, at that moment, so that I could just like numb the whole sensation of it. So what age are we talking at this point? Um, I was 17, 18 in college, so I get back, I'm dancing probably like the later year of 18 to like, to like 24, later part of 18 to like later part of like 24 years old. Okay. So, you know, what's interesting to me about this is I'm thinking about the dynamics and I'm wondering where were your parents within this scenario? Because they, they were willing to come take you out of your college education because of a 
female relationship. Oh, God forbid. Right. Right, But but now you're back home and you're, do they know that you're stripping or do they know what's going on? Well, um, pretty much like by the time I got back home, I was like pretty much on my own again. It was like, we're going to conceive you from these clutches of this evil woman. But like, now you're here and like, oh no, like, oh, you're back at home. Like, you can't live in our house. Like, things are different now. Like, you're not the same. Like, things are like, I don't know. Like, there's just like, just so many things that changed. And so it was like, I had to get out and I had to get on my own. And they really like pushed me out of the nest again. Like, they just fucking like kicked me out of the nest and were like, yo, can you fly again? Like, yo, I've flown every single time. They've kicked me out of the nest. But it was like not a permanent stay. It was just like, let's just come and like uproot you and let's like remove you from your whole situation. But now like, however you're going to start over is up to you to figure out. And so I had to figure out how to start over that time. That was one of the times I started over. Wow. And, and I'm not trying to like harp on your parents here because listen, I, I'm, we don't even need to talk about them anymore after this, but like, unless you want to, but I just think like, you know, there's this phrase, we're all doing the best we can. And that's a really hard pill for me to swallow. And, and especially in this situation, when I think about that, I'm like, what what would make them think that taking you away from a full ride education makes sense? Why is that the solution? And, and you don't have to answer this because I'm sure we probably don't have the answer, right? But it's just the, the things that go through my head, it just, it feels so against. It feels like, oh, we're going to swoop in and be a savior but then we're not really saving you from anything. Right, right. I felt that. And like, I felt, I felt myself get destroyed like a million times, but I've always rebuilt from the moments that I was destroyed. And so um, the last two years of dancing, it got really hard. I numbed myself with cocaine and numbed myself with vodka. Um, that landed me in jail. I went to jail and I got locked up for DUI. And, uh, I spent 58 days in jail and once again I didn't have my parents I didn't have nobody on the outside and like even if I would call in from like inside of like the block they would just like deny my calls and they would reject me so like even in a situation like that I had to resort to dancing to like make my commissary and things like that like I can remember moments where I'm like pulling that little orange jumpsuit up and like dancing off of the side of the bunk bed to make like chips ahoy and ramen noodles so not only am I like dancing, like, but I'm like dancing to save my life. Like I'm dancing literally to get like a freaking cup of soup and like a chips ahoy. Like that was crazy, but I had nobody on the outside and I spent 58, 58 days in. And now this is where the story starts to take like a turning point. Um, the whole time I was like locked up, I was just like, what am I going to do with myself? What have I got myself into and how am I going to get out of it? And the only situation that I could think of was like, Dom, like you've cooked your whole life. You love to cook. You like, it just resonated so deeply with me that the day that I got out of jail, I still had no one on the outside. So here I am like in my stripper clothes, like my little brown dress, my little six inch heels, my little Louis Vuitton bag, like click, click, clicking all the way to the bus stop. And I clicked all the way to bus stop and I rode three different buses to get to the campus of the culinary school the day that I got out of jail was the day that I registered to go to culinary school wow okay and I have to comment on this because I think have I think Heather uh, W might have said something when you were sharing that story before but when you say this um and and th- this is 
not recording it's only recording audio so people aren't going to be able to see you but like six inch heels that doesn't like it doesn't fit dom dom doesn't roll in six inch heels <laughs> and like mini skirts i mean obviously at one point in your life you did but it's just when you think about how um drastically your life can change and how quickly and how you do certain things well, I mean, I know you said at first it was fun. It was like enjoyable. It was it was maybe a, a community that that was nice to be a part of, and then it, it and then it turned toxic. Yeah, right, right, right. So then I had to find a new community, right? So then I found culinary school. Like I am at the time, like I'm living with one of my old customers because I literally like lost everything the moment that I got locked up. So I literally was still in survival mode at this point. And so I lived with one of my old customers who was a customer when I was dancing, but he was like, yo, like I have an extra bedroom in my house and you can stay here as long as you get good grades. And me like having nowhere to go, like I just put myself in survival mode and I was like, okay, but now, like, years and years later, like, I can look back and see, like, how manipulative that situation was as well. Like, that's kind of like a, yes, daddy, like, all your good grades. Like, that's kind of like a fucking corrupt-ass situation. But, like, I had nowhere to go. Like, I was homeless. I, like, I depended on the kindness of strangers. And um, so I lived with him and his family for, like, the first three years of culinary school, riding the bus, like it was a 45 minute walk to the bus stop. And then it was a three hour ride, switching buses and stuff like that to get to like my destination. And then three hour ride back and then a 45 minute walk back. And it was like, at that point, I just made it such a point to make something of myself that all that extra work that I put into it didn't matter as long as I was like accomplishing what I had set myself to accomplish. Okay, that's that's wild. So how many times a week are you doing this? Well, uh, five times a week, but three times of the week I only. I had a class that was one hour long. So I would have to go through that whole trek three times a week for a one hour class. And then the other two times a week, it was like a full day long worth of classes. But that's like a, that's a detail that I don't think I've ever spoken before. It was like literally going oh. all this way for like a one hour class, dude. <laughs> that is, wow. Uh, well, you know what that is? That's dedication. That's called dedication, folks. <laughs> wow. Um, so you finished culinary school. Oh, and... well, okay, okay. No, I Am I skipping? I, okay. I, I mean, yes, I did finish culinary school. I did finish culinary school, but there is a, there's a bomb that dropped on me my last semester of culinary school. So now here I am, like, getting out of this DUI, riding the bus every day, going, like, being so dedicated, like, dedicating my whole adult life to this passion and this career. My last semester of culinary school like when it's almost in the bag when i've eaten meat from around the world when i've tasted everything you could ever imagine when i've tried all these different cultures i get that big c-bomb dropped on me and then i found out that i got pre-cancer cells in my lady parts and 
this was another pivotal moment where my whole life changed. Again, here I am, my last semester of culinary school, like working so hard for all of this, like working so hard to build myself out of the trenches and to pull myself out of the holes that I've dug for myself. Now I find out that I gotta fight this cancer with an alkaline diet. And I'm thinking like, okay, whatever, like I can just fight this with an alkaline diet. But then I do like the next step of research and I find out that alkaline means vegan. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like my last semester of culinary school after I've just worked so long to dig myself out of this hole. Now I find out that everything that I just learned is null and void at this point because now in order for me to save my life, I have to maintain a vegan diet. Now it's crazy to me. So, okay. Where are we age-wise at this point? I'm feel I'm like calculating. Are we like 26, 27? Well, um, I found so I found out this while I was in my last semester of culinary school, which was probably like 2014. And so let's subtract like nine years from where I'm at right now, 35, 26. Yeah, 26, you nailed it. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. really young to find cancerous cells to begin with. Um, was it actually a, was it a cancer diagnosis or was it a warning? Well, it was pre-cancer Maybe cells. Not- okay. And it was so, um, yeah, it was pre-cancer cells that were in my cervix. So to... As for a lot of people listening, I'm sure we've all heard. I mean, I know I've heard alkaline diet. I've heard I've heard you talk about it too. But like, what? How would you describe that to someone who doesn't understand really what that means? Like, what is the meaning of having an alkaline diet? In your own words. Well, when I first did the research on it, like, okay, so first, like, I found out, like, okay, I refuse to do Western Western medicine. I refuse to like go under any kind of treatment. I refuse to get like operated on. And so that to me was like the drive to do the research. And then, so like first I'm thinking like, okay, I just have to have an alkaline diet, like no big deal. Then I research what an alkaline diet is. And then I'm like, oh my God, I have to be vegan. Like what the fuck? literally everything I just spent my whole adult life learning since the point when I got out of jail is like now null and void because I spent all this time and effort learning this trade and now I can't eat anything that I just learned and so when I realized that alkaline was vegan I was like oh like this is fucked up like so cancer cells grow on acidity and acidity is caused in your body through meats and cheeses and dairy products and yogurts and sliced meat and sliced bacon and like all this processed meat that you get in the store and it was like at that moment where I was like yo like I just learned all this stuff and now I can't continue it and then um so once I realized like what alkaline was and it is like completely plant-based like whole beans, whole grains, nothing bleached, no artificial sugars. Um, it saved my life. And I will never discredit the life that living whole food plant-based has brought me. And so now it's time for me to share that with other people. But it took like 
that transition phase for me to be like, oh, like, what the fuck? Like, oh, like living non-acidic and living alkaline means that I have to give up everything I just learned. Well, but you also, well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but it also feels like what you did with that education is you morphed it into what you needed it to be. So like the way you cook, um, you talk about trying to recreate the foods that you no longer eat. Um, and so you kind of do that a little bit with science, which is really cool. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, so now you're, so you, you finished culinary school, you've gotten onto this vegan diet and like, when did it become intriguing for you to not just do the vegan diet, just standard, but really recreate all the things that you love about what you used to eat? There's no specific time frame, but there's more of like a mental change that I went through where it was like, in the moment, I felt like I had to give up everything that I just spent my whole adult life like working for. But then it was like, Dom, like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, textures, you know, flavors, you know, profiles, you know, composition, you know, like, I know exactly what it takes to make an amazing dish. And so once I got over the little boohoo, what was me stage, I was like, what can I do to like elevate this game? And that's when I made a personal mission to like replicate everything that I love to eat. If I want to eat chicken, like if you want to eat chicken, it's not the chicken you're missing. It's the the crispiness and the buffaloness and the ranchness and like the experience. Like it's not the chicken that you're missing. And once I converted my thoughts from like woe is me to like, yo, I know everything that it takes to replicate these dishes that was the moment I became unstoppable, honestly. Like, and now I can replicate anything. Anything you can eat, I can make vegan. I can replicate anything for you. Okay, so this is the thing that I'm fascinated on, too. Like, recently you shared um, a – because you're on, you're on tour right now, which we'll get to. But you did a – I'm going to forget what it is. But it's basically like a, a street hot dog. Am I saying this right? <laughs> what a – well, yeah, with, no, and I you had like a hard-boiled egg on top and I'm like wait how how can she have a hard-boiled egg on top it, like what is that how do you create that well um let's rewind a little bit to when you said like I put food science into this it's so important for me to replicate things that I love like right now we just had the uh the holiday like the rising from the grave holiday you know like which one's that <laughs> Easter. That one. The rising from the grave holiday. (laughs) Oh my god, I'm dying right now. Oh wait, no, it's okay, I'll be risen. Yo, tis the season. Tis the season. (laughs) Anyways, uh, oh my god, you wiping tears from your eyes. If you out there watching, just know, like, HP just literally, literally, like, watched tears from her eyes. So, it's like, I want the boiled egg, I want the potato salad, I want, like, all those elements of, like, this, like, what am I going to do to recreate that? I have to use science. I have to use like molecular gastronomy. I have to use food science. I just have to know how like things compose together. And you're absolutely right. When you saw my cob dog, that was a dish I actually took to LA. I'm on tour right now. I'm going to nine major cities over the next nine months with the vegan street fair. And I'm changing my hot dog in every location. So that was the last one. And, um, I really love eggs. I love eggs so much. Like before I was vegan, eggs were like a part of my diet every single day. And now in like veganism, you see like 
people would be like a trophy scramble and like stop it there and so to me it's more important to be like yo if I was like a non-vegan my whole life and I want to replicate this I can't just stop at trophy scramble I have to make like a poppable egg I have to make a hard-boiled egg like when you go to culinary school one of the first classes you ever take is like how to make eggs 200 different ways and so if I know how to make eggs 200 different ways, I am going to replicate a vegan egg 200 different ways. What even is a vegan egg though? Like this is what is blowing my mind. Like like what is what even is it? Okay, so actually let me let me distill this a little bit even better. Because when we're thinking about so when we think about uh, alkaline diet, we're talking about it being vegan and and really not just vegan but just pure source right? So like unprocessed, pure sourced, real whole food type stuff. Even vegan, any diet, literally any diet can become bad for you if you go to the overprocessed side. So how do you recreate the things without having them become too overprocessed? The answer to that is very simple. I make everything from scratch. Okay. I, I, this is like I first of all, I love it. So I just want to be clear on that. But like, you're not gonna be able to tell me over this podcast. But like, I'm just fascinated. Like, how the fuck do you make an egg? Like, it's like pretty distinct. (laughs) And like a poppable egg at that. Man, that's where I've been able to apply my skills from culinary school and then just switch them and make them something plant based. Because I learned the skills. I just need to make them plant based now. I love it. I think it's so cool and I think it's really important because it, listen, I think through the dawn of time, people have always been searching for different diets and different things and all this, but veganism um, has not, it's not, it's become more of a thing, I think, but it's also not new by any means. I think the biggest challenge is all these barriers to entry, but really they're mental barriers to entry, right? Like, oh, well, I can't have this, this, or this, or I don't know how to make this, this, or this, or I really love this and I couldn't give it up. But what you're saying is you don't necessarily have to give up all those things. Like there, it's possible. And that's what you're saying. That's why you like recreating it, right? Is so that you don't feel like you're sacrificing. Well, the first thing that I want to answer is that you said that we that humans have been doing this since the dawn of time. I'd like to correct you and say people have been doing this since the dawn of time. <laughs> nice. Okay, got it. Since okay. the dawn of time. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think there's a lot of stigmas and I think a lot of people think like, oh, vegan is too expensive, vegan, like there's so many stigmas, but when you put yourself in that situation and you walk through like a supermarket and you see that you can get two pounds of Roma tomatoes for 88 cents, then tell me why veganism is more expensive when you can turn that whole two pounds into some spaghetti sauce and just like roll, like. Man, people always say, like, but I think that's just an excuse. I think that's just an excuse for people to not, like, take the next step. Like, but I honestly think it comes down to education. If you know how to manipulate ingredients, if you know how to manipulate products, then you're, like, you're not spending money. And I think at that point, like, there's so many more people that are afraid to say, like, I don't know how to cook this way. Then there are people saying like, oh, it's too expensive or I don't get my protein or I don't get my calcium. 
And I think it's just so much easier for people to make excuses and to actually do the research. But like, literally, if you put like 30 minutes of research into it, like you would figure out that it's like, it all comes down to the research, man, straight up. Yeah, I hear. So I hear what you're saying. I also hear the uh, the flip side of it because we do have busy lives, right? And, and you love cooking. Not everyone does, right? So it, it does take some more intention. But the whole the whole it's more expensive. I guess it depends on what you're making because I always know, like if I go just like what you said, like if I go to the produce section and that's just where I shop, I can leave with like bags on bags of stuff. And be under 30 bucks. But right. if I don't, if I go other places, I'm like 60 bucks plus w- without le- even a couple bags, right? So it's kind of crazy to think that it's more expensive. <laughs> um, and unless you're going for, you know, if you're buying like a special vegan ricotta from the grocery store, yeah, that's gonna cost you some money because it's specialized, vegan cheese, things like that. But I just, I don't know. I think it's interesting. So tell us about your mission to take over the world. So right now you're doing the vegan street fair. Let's talk about that a little bit. So um, I did, my first vegan street fair was vegan street fair nights last October 7th and 8th of 20, what year is this? 2022. I did vegan street fair nights and um, I have a very deeply rooted place of gratitude for the vegan street fair because before I was somebody and I'm going to stop myself right there because I've always known like my skills and what I'm capable of and what I can bring to this world. So I've always known that I was somebody, but the first person externally to realize like, yo, like this kid's got talent and like, we want them to be a part of like the greater good was vegan street fair. And so um, I got into Vegan Street Fair last October, and it was the most life-changing experience that I could ever fathom. And uh, just being a part of that community and being a part of a community where everyone is like, yo, like, do you need eyes? Do you need this? Do you need that? Like, everyone's just, like, helping each other out. But also, we know that the service that we provide is changing the world. And, you know, I always tell you, like, I'm going to change the world one plate at a time. I'm going to do it one plate at a time because it's important for me to, like, show my face and show the food that I'm serving people and say, like, yo, like, this food came from my heart. It straight up came from my heart. And, like, I would rather serve one person at a time than to serve, like, a whole restaurant line of, like, 200, 300 faces every single day and not see my customers. And so... When I decided to give it all up, I uh, I reached out to the Vegan Street Fair and I was like, yo, like, I really want to be a vendor. And uh, they gave me a chance before anybody gave me a chance. And that was last October. And uh, man, that just was like a catalyst to like me moving forward. It was a huge catalyst. Like they gave me the chance before anybody else would. And they saw something in me. They saw in me what I see in me and they're the first ones to like give me a go and be like all right bet like come to vegan street fair then that's so awesome and so when we're thinking about the vegan street fair if anybody's trying to understand or picture what this means it's literally you know shut down a section of some street and and we've got vegan um chefs and products probably all over that you just walk through and you can test and sample is that give us an idea or, or tell me what it looks like 
Um, one of the most important things about this vegan street fair that I'm a part of, it is the world's largest vegan street fair. So when I decided to leave my hometown and branch out, like I didn't take steps going to the top. I literally went straight to the top. I sought out the world's largest vegan street fair. And so we did LA and now like we have so many plans for growth where now we're doing like nine major cities over the next nine months. But it started off in like Los Angeles with like someone, my homie Jessica Cruz, who had uh, a vision and she had a dream and she was like, yo, like we need to show the world what vegan is. Man, you kind of don't know what it looks like from like behind your tent, right? Because you have like someone working cashier and then like I am... I'm the one like on the grill, right? So I'm just like pounding on all these weenies. And so I just got someone like yelling back to me, like two minis down, three minis down. Like someone just like yelling about all these minis. Being behind the scenes and then stepping out, like I am so glad that I took a moment to step out and look down this block. It's like a whole block that's like blocked off for the vegan street fair right and so it's like hundreds of thousands of people in every direction and if you just like hold your phone above them all you see is just like a sea of people but all these people are coming out there for vegan food and that's so amazing like like that's a huge part of the change and people that say like oh vegan food is never going to change anything or like vegans are never going to change the world like take a step back at that market and look at the flood of people coming in to get like all their vegan goodies and then to see like yourself and say like I am a part of this like I am vegan street fair that is like the most amazing gratification moment you could ever have because it's not just like two or three people coming up to your booth like here and there it's like a whole block it's like a whole carnival it's like a whole like fiasco of people changing the world like one plate at a time and it's absolutely amazing and it's incredibly magical and if nobody has ever been like I feel like it's like the adult version of Disneyland honestly you know like you get so happy when you go to Disneyland if you want me to describe it to you like that like it's honestly like the adult version of Disneyland you just go there and it looks like there's like so much food to eat and it's all vegan and it's all good for you it's like man like i don't know this is the most gratifying thing ever to see all these people show up for it i think that's kind of an interesting thing too for someone who might be interested in vegan food um maybe they're dabbling in it um just people just generally that are curious to go and be able to just taste a bunch of different things and experience it without this like big commitment of like, I'm going to go to a restaurant and now I can only pick one dish and what if I don't like it? And so I don't know, I think that's a really cool, um, interesting way for people to experience something um, for the first time. I agree. It's, I, it's so invigorating. And if you've ever thought about it and you're just like, well, I'd like to start making better choices. I just don't know where to start. Like, this is a perfect place to start. You can get, like, a $4 sample from every single vendor. And, girl, I can't tell you how many people just came around for, like, that $4 sample. And it's just, it was just, like, trying everybody. Like, some people bring tacos. Some people bring hot dogs. Some people bring ramen. And, like, for the people that were going in there, like, playing the game, just going, like, every single 10, trying the samples, like, 
that's where it's at, man. Because then you can taste everything and then see like, oh shit, like this is vegan. What? Like, oh shit, this is vegan. And it's like that for like miles of this whole block of nothing but vegan vendors. It's amazing. So you've got a couple more of them coming up. Um, I know Miami. <laughs> okay, Girl. go ahead. Tell me what okay. tell me what this looks like. Girl, couple is an understatement. Okay. So I know you mentioned it earlier, but I um I gave up my home. I gave up everything I own. I turned my car into a car camper. The vegan uh street fair world tour is going on nine major cities over the next nine months. And so it's no light feet. It's like it's not a light feat. I'm literally like in the middle of Oklahoma right now, just waiting to go to like my next destination. So it's literally across. I'm traveling coast to coast twice over the next like eight months now at this point. And uh, so it's um, Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta, Oakland, Seattle, Austin, Denver, Vegas, and then Miami. So that's like the course of the action over the next eight months. Mm, what an experience. Um, how can how can people support this journey or follow this journey? I'm glad that you asked. I'm actually, for the first time in the history of my business, I am actually extending um, out an opportunity for small businesses to help me on this journey. I am currently looking for sponsorships. Um, the there is like three different tiers, like gold, uh, gold, silver, and bronze. But um, depending on your contribution amount, you will get like a logo displayed on my banner and on my tent throughout every single major city that I'm stopping at, as well as like social media posts as I get there. Um, I already have a couple sponsors. A super shout out to uh mark from scn who actually sponsored my planet fitness membership so that i can take a shower on the road like it's just like things like that like um i feel like we're all in this together and i feel like what the mark that i'm making on this world is like super yeah and i um it's so fun to watch like this journey and like all the things that you're doing it's so fun yeah, um, I st- I started off in El Paso, and here I am now, like in Oklahoma already. I've already gone through like LA. I've gone through Arizona. I've gone through Oklahoma, and uh, I think just to even be able to have like the bravery to take this kind of trip is absolutely astounding to me. Absolutely. And then the only thing that I keep thinking of because I I saw this um, is so. Is Trixie staying with a friend or someone the whole time? Or is she, Trixie's the cat, right? Yeah, Trixie is the right? cat, yes. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm glad that you asked, actually, because that's a huge part of my life. And um, I kind of, like, flipped my tits when I found out that I wasn't going to be able to take Trixie with me to the street fair. So um, the... Uh, the lovely human that is taking care of Trixie right now actually has Trixie's sister from the same litter. Oh, okay. And so that is uh, that is my Arizona hub. And so every time I go through Arizona, I have a chance to see my beloved Trixie. And um, I'm so glad that I didn't have to get rid of her. And I'm so glad that the community, like, really stepped up and really was like, no, like, you're not going to get rid of your cat no matter what. 
and we found an option that works and so I'm super grateful to have a foster mom for my cat but honestly like at the end of this tour I really just want to get myself like a camper van and like continue to travel and so um, by the time I get a camper van and I'm no longer living in my car that will be the moment where Trixie can come with me and we can see the world together and I can't wait for that moment to come but until then, she's at least in good hands, and she has a very, very lovely foster mom right now. Super cool. All right. So I have three standard questions that I ask at the end oh, uh, to everybody. You and your questions, <laughs> Heather. Don't worry. There's no, like, what's the most ratchet thing you can do? Don't, I'm not going to ask you that. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> um, so, okay. What is – I like to leave the audience with an action item. Um, something super small because we want it to be something that people can and will actually do. Um, but in your opinion, what's something that everyone listening can do today um, to help themselves, to inspire themselves to make some pos- positive changes in their own lives, you know, to, to pursue their dreams in the way that you're doing them? What would you say they can do? Oof. One small step. Um, so everyone goes through trauma in their life. and It's not that we don't go through hardships that defines us. It's who we become after we handle those hardships that really define us. And so if anybody is listening that is going through a hard time right now, know that like this is not the ultimate destination. Like the ultimate destination is how you handle the bullshit that you're given. And if you can just push through it, then there's always like, You know, I want to say there's always like a light at the end of the tunnel. I used to always think it was a light at the end of the tunnel, but now I realize it's a light at the beginning of the tunnel. And so if you can make it through the bullshit, like you're barely starting. And I think that's really important for people to know and hold on to. Like no matter where you've been and no matter how many like valleys of the shadow of death that you've had to walk through, like there's always uh, sunshine at the end of that rainbow, you know? Love it. All right. And this one you're going to be familiar with because they use this one too. It's mine originally. No, this one is what are five words would you use to describe yourself? I wasn't prepared for that one. Um, Okay. (laughs) Let's see what comes up. Let's see what comes up. Uh, Charismatic. Love. Freedom. uh, Endurance. And relentlessness. Okay, and then the last thing is where where do you want everyone to go to stay connected? So yeah. social media, website, anything like Good, that. Good, awesome. Thank you so much for asking. Thank you guys for listening, and thank you for listening to my homie, HP Heather. <laughs> she is on fire with Diversity on Fire. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys can check me out on Instagram at domsvegan.ep. I also have a YouTube under the same handle, Um, But Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. And if you guys want to uh, shoot me an email, you can also hit me up at domsvegan at gmail.com. But uh, mostly Instagram. If you guys hit me up on Insta, then that's probably like the best place ever. So once again, that's domsvegan.ep. Okay, perfect. And I'll put those in the show notes as well. So people can just go in there. If you're listening, don't write and drive. 
click on the link and you will go directly to those pages. Thank you again for sharing. I really appreciate this. I feel like your life story could probably take like an entire season worth of episodes because we really just scratched the surface. But regardless of the depth that we went into, it's I appreciate the vulnerability that it takes to share some of the things that you've been through, gone through, done, and where you are today. Because I think it's super important for people to see that, you know, you can keep going. And like you said, endurance, persistence, you can make it. Thank you for listening in today. I hope this episode helped you see a new perspective. I believe through conversations just like this, we can all set fire to our ignorance and rise from those ashes together as better humans. Welcome back. We have been off for a couple weeks. Thank you for your patience. I am back and ready to rumble. Um, Don't forget to check the show notes for links on how to connect with Dom and support Dom's journey through the vegan street fair. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions that we express today, they're ours. We encourage you to do your own research, come to your own conclusions. We are not uh, nutritionists. We are not doctors. So please just keep that in mind. Do your own research. Connect with Diversity on Fire on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Diversity on Fire. I would very much love a five-star rating and a review and don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode until next time don't forget to check your bias and keep the conversations going